Welcome to Statmasters, where we teach you how to use Player Profiler to win at fantasy football, better evaluate players. My name is Aaron Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst for Player Profiler, and my co-host is Chris Bonagura, a fantasy intelligence network analyst for Player Profiler. Chris, who are we talking about today? So we're going to break down how it seems like nobody understands the Dallas Cowboys, so we're just going to run down the whole team. And I'll tell you why nobody understands the Dallas Cowboys. And Aaron, you're very familiar with this, being a Dallas Cowboys fan yourself and a Texas native. The Dallas Cowboys are a very easy team to hate on, especially with Jerry Jones and Skip Bayless and the media that surrounds this team. I mean, I enjoy a good old hate sesh for the Dallas Cowboys. It's a lot of fun, and they certainly ask for it. But a lot of times that hate can then get misinterpreted into the fantasy football evaluation of this team, even if it's slightly. And today I'm definitely going to be griping over very slight miscalculations of player value for this team. And one of the other big things is the offensive coordinator switch from Kellen Moore to Brian Schonheimer that people are massively overreacting to because a lot of people really like Kellen Moore because he reminds you of the fantasy football approach of throw more this and that. And no one likes Brian Schonheimer because he's old and boring. But in reality, there's a reason Kellen Moore didn't stay in town and even if you think he's a better coordinator than Schottenheimer if he had poor cohesion with the rest of the coaching staff because of philosophy you'd rather the guy who gets along and either way the fantasy football production here is not going to be throttled by Brian Schottenheimer he has been part of the coaching staff for many championship teams and has coached many fantasy football champions so I want to start with what I think is the most insulting ADP is cd lamb in such a way that we're not giving him enough respect now you're gonna say but chris cd lamb is currently the wide receiver seven right he's 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 a one two turn pick i think that's disrespectful i think he should be the wide receiver four i think it should be jefferson chase hill lamb and i don't think it's really that much of an argument we've broken down aj brown on this show and he's a very nice player and he certainly deserves to be a top eight receiver, but I think Lamb is slightly better and in, in a better situation this year. Diggs is obviously elite, but he's 29. He's not a spring chicken. And Cooper Cup is also 29 going on 30. And he's, he's coming off a season where he obliterated his ankle. We need to bake in the concern with Cooper Cup's health. There's a chance Cooper Cup could be similar, not the same, but similar to how Michael Thomas just never came back from his ankle injury. There's a chance Cooper Cup comes back from the injury, but he's not full Cooper Cup. And he's not worth the wide receiver for. CeeDee Lamb gives you all the elite upside of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, and he has none of the age risks. He's in the, the peak of his career. You look at the Cowboys' depth chart. We'll talk about them more later, but Brandon Cooks and Michael Gallup are not significant threats to CeeDee Lamb's target share. The rest of the receivers are just guys. The tight ends are just guys. This entire Cowboys offense is going to revolve around CeeDee Lamb, Tony Pollard, and Dak Prescott. And everyone hates Dak Prescott, but Dak Prescott for years has spearheaded some of the most fantasy productive offenses for years. I don't care that, yes, he has certainly fell short of playoff expectations. Yes, a better quarterback probably could have won a Super Bowl with this team by now. But in the regular season, you're not getting much better than Dak Prescott, especially for fantasy football and the ability to support a player. Now, looking at Lan, last season, 28% target share is elite. 26 deep targets on that 28% target share is elite. 10.2 A dot is not necessarily elite, but when you're a high volume player who also plays out of the slot a lot, 
number sixth overall in slot snaps, then you're going to have a lower A dot. And this isn't an Amon Ra St. Brown situation where Amon Ra was six yards per target. This is 10. That's a good number. Ninth in yards after catch. And you look at a lot of his stats are really nice, but they're not necessarily as important as number sixth in win rate versus man. So this dude is earning an incredible target share. He's running after the catch. He's playing all around the field. And he's 24. And he's really the only primary weapon in this passing game for a quarterback that can support what Lamb can do. This is this is a, a, a no-miss situation at the 1-2 turn. You should be ecstatic to draft C.D. Lamb if you start the draft at 10 because you're now caught up to the guys that got Jefferson and Chase. And the only reason Lamb is not considered in the same esteem as Jefferson and Chase is because it took him one more year to break out. He was a third-year breakout, right? Chase and Jefferson were essentially rookie breakouts, and more realistically so, sophomore year is when they actually broke fantasy. Like, Chase was certainly good his rookie year. We knew he was going to be elite, but it was the sophomore season that we really saw the numbers pop off the page. CeeDee Lamb was a junior breakout, but if you listen to J.J. Zachariasen and his you know late-round QB podcast, he's done plenty of research and analysis that goes to show that freshman, sophomore, and junior year breakout for, for players, they're all worth the same. All that matters is that you broke out. CeeDee Lamb is here. CeeDee Lamb should be the wide receiver four, and he's my wide receiver four, and I will not budge. Someone would really have to convince me otherwise. CeeDee Lamb last season his ADP on underdog wasn't that far off from what it is this season. I remember teams I took him as pick 11, pick 12 on some best ball teams. What's changed this year? Nothing. Like Amari Cooper was gone last year. We had some questions. It was okay to be skeptical of CD Lamb. Can he produce as an alpha wide receiver? We hadn't seen it in those two years. Some good stuff. Cooper's gone. Boom. He flirts with 30% target share. Tell me how many 24-year-old wide receivers can do that. There's not much. C.D. Lamb's legit. It may seem hot and spicy to say wide receiver four in 2023. We're getting ahead of the curve. Last season, this is PPR points. This is what we have to work with on Player Profiler. He was number seven overall. Fantasy points per game, 17.7. And you can choose any advanced stat on his profile. I don't care. Choose any of them. He's probably a lead at it. You mentioned it. He wins against man. He gets deep targets. Target share is crazy. Yards after the catch, he can do it. He caught over 100 passes. Yards per route run, he's top 10. Yards per team pass attempt, he's top 10. He's even elusive as well, because of course. Because of course he is. These are what the elite wide receivers do. They just dominate at everything. C.D. Lamb, he emerged in his third year. He's going into his fourth season. He could get 30% target share. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Like, what are the Cowboys going to do? Say, mm, we saw we saw enough of C.D. Lamb last year, and he was really good, and let's scale it back. Hell no. Hell no. Like, this offense is going to run through C.D. Lamb. Wide receiver four? Definitely take that. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb, top four guys right there. I'll buy it. And the thing I'll add, too, when we look back to last season, remember Dak Prescott got hurt after week one. Then we had to deal with backup quarterback play and Cooper Rush coming in. And when Dak Prescott came back, it was week seven against the Lions. There was a little bit of rust. Wasn't a whole lot of passing. They blew out the Lions. Week eight through the end of the season, including the playoffs. That's 12 games. 
10 of those games, he scored 15-plus PPR points. Of those other two games, one game was against Minnesota. They beat the living hell out of the Vikings by 30-plus points. They didn't need to pass. They pulled starters in that game. CeeDee Lamb only ran 17 routes. The only other game, Houston Texans, which they actually had a pretty good secondary last season. But that's it. 12 games. CeeDee Lamb averaged 15 PPR points or more. You're getting elite production at an insanely consistent pace there. CeeDee Lamb's exactly what you want if you're taking a receiver in the first round. So CeeDee Lamb, he's going to start rising in best ball. Get used to him being wide receiver four. Yeah, he used to go sometimes in the early second round. Now I you don't see him. It's honestly even hard to get him at the turn. And yeah, very few guys, Aaron, to your point about the game logs, he he very few guys can flirt with a 38-point PPR week and a 34-point PPR week, yet alone two in, in the same season with a 15-point floor. It's He's very good, and this is now where the mainstream view on Dallas starts to get hypocritical because people will say, oh, I can't take Lamb over Cup or over Diggs because of Brian Schottenheimer and because of Dak and because of this and that. For me, those are tiebreakers that move him down the top 10. But for me, it's no, no, this is all of the upside as everyone else in the top 10, but you, but none of the risk. There's none of the risk of age with Diggs and Adams, none of the risk of injury with Cup, and none of the risk of the unknown with Garrett Wilson and Amon Ross St. Saint- Brown, where of course we believe Wilson and St. Brown are very much top 10 talents, but it's still a projection to a degree where lamb is not and then you you now look at other players on this team so now we have brandon cooks and michael gallup who have elevated adps for what they're actually worth because the argument is oh well they're on the cowboys it's a good offense but then cd lamb falls to the back end of the first round and tony pollard still slips into the third round because it's the cowboys so which is it are the cowboys good enough for cd lamb and tony pollard to win your league or they're so bad that I have to take other options over them? Or are they so good that Brandon Cooks and Michael Gallup will be better players than they actually are? Which is it? I'm going to go with, I want the elite players, Lamb and Pollard, and I'm not super hyped on Cooks and Gallup right now at their cost. At a cheaper cost, sure. But Brandon Cooks is the wide receiver 43, which among wide receivers is not awful, but it's ADP of 82. So... He does go after all the receivers that are better than him, but he goes before, you know, some guys that I like more, but I'm not going to, you know, do a crazy flag plant over these guys. The problem more so is among all positions, when you have to draft Brandon Cooks, you're taking Brandon Cooks over a Darren Waller, a Deshaun Watson, a James Conner, right? A Rashad White, Zay Flowers, David Montgomery, all these guys I would much rather have over Cooks. The, The choice shouldn't be, Brandon Cooks or Deshaun Watson. The choice should be Brandon Cooks and or a guy like Tyler Boyd, who goes 20 picks and two rounds later. And one of the biggest issues with, with Cooks is people are, are it's weird that people are now coming around on him because of Dallas. When the case for Cooks has been there for years, I've been the first guy to tell you for years to draft Cooks. So in 2019 and 2020, when he was the definitive only starter for Houston. I'm sorry, 2020 and 2021. So 2019 is the year he gets hurt with, with um, I believe it was, it was the Rams and then he went to New England and then he ended up a free agent. He goes to the Texans in 2020 and 2021. He's eighth round picks both those years. And it's, hey, 
Just draft Brandon Cooks. He's a good player, and he's the only receiver they have. I don't care that the Texans suck. And he paid off. He didn't win you your, your league, but he was a great wide receiver too. And then last season, he jumps to the fifth round. And it's like, well, let's pump the brakes. It is still just the Texans. And then last season, he fails to pay off, but it was also partially due to injury. And now he's back to the eighth round, but all the excitement's gone. Brandon Cooks is an old 29 years old, pretty much 30. He's he's an old 30. I don't even care about the con- concussion history. I never have. But now it's just, even if he makes it through the season, you're getting pretty much nothing out of him. And you're paying a premium on him. And I'm just, I'm good on Brandon Cooks as, as an eighth round pick. He's not a threat to Lamb. He's, he's there more so for real-life NFL purposes of stretching the field. You shouldn't be excited. And Michael Gallup is a similar case where, you know, we want Michael Gallup to be this elite downfield vertical threat that his profile in his younger years showed, but it's just never manifested itself in the way that we, we want. He had the one top 20 year, and I understand there have been a lot of injuries, but at this point, sixth year, I, I can't be super hyped for Gallup. I do like him. I've certainly drafted him when he was cheaper, but he's rising now as we get into camp and people start to like the, the the Cowboys more. And he's getting to a point now where it's, well, I don't like the price anymore. He's now wide receiver 58, ADP 128. He used to go after Van Jefferson. He used to go in the 16th round. Now it's, it's a 12th round pick for Michael Gallup. ADP 128 is actually 11th round. That's very expensive. For a guy that we've done this with now for five years, the will he, won't he? I'm not even going to look at advanced stats for Cooks or for Gallup. It's just it's just logic and reasoning. I, I, I would like them to be cheaper, and they don't. I'm not threatened by them for the actual elite players on this team. And and people just have Dallas so so backwards. We're propping up Cooks and Gallup. We we're 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 still holding slight skepticism on Lamb and Pollard when it should just be full throttle, move it forward. And Dak slides. Dak's already fallen maybe 20 spots in ADP since the early offseason. He's now ADP 100. He used to be 85. And I've, I've gotten Dak Prescott as late as 120. It's, it's disrespectful for a player who just two years ago had 330 fantasy points and was still great last year. He was hurt. It's, it's disrespect to, to, to Dak. The, the Dak respect is it's really out of con- control right now. And don't don't be afraid to draft Dak Prescott. He's a very good player. A whole lot of Dallas Cowboy players that were mentioned. I'm going to start with the least exciting one, work our way up, Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup, I believe people are still clinging to 2019, right? We, we saw Michael Gallup, second season in the NFL, top 15 points per game, wide receiver 17. Obviously, he's not going to reach that height there. But ever since he hit that, people have kept chasing that production that upside especially in best ball drafts over and over and over here's the reality 2020 that's when cd lamb joined the cowboys mari cooper was there michael gallup since 2020 hasn't averaged 11 points per game in a season in ppr right he is what he is that's what i love about michael gallup is you're not going to get surprised these past three seasons have been Crazy how consistent he's been. Target share, 17.1% in 2020. Went to 16.6% in 2021. And this past season, even coming back from an ACL tear, 16.7%. That target share, it's lock it in, folks. 
it's going to be between 60 and a half and 17% for Michael Gallup. And that has led to him not being a fantasy non-factor. Hasn't been inside the top 40, probably hasn't been inside the top 45 wide receivers. We don't know the 2021 season where he tore his ACL, didn't play enough. He averaged 10.2 points per game. Like People are drafting him and thinking, oh, I'm getting such a great value. You mentioned one, uh, 128 overall for his ADP. It's right inside the top 60 wide receivers. But that's exactly what he is at this point. Maybe he's a little better, but that's not the players that you take. You want to take those guys that you go, oh, they can be, if I'm drafting wide receiver 58 to 60, a guy that could be a top 36 wide receiver in fantasy. That will never happen for Michael Gallup. There's zero upside with him. It's worth noting too, you don't have to dive into the advanced stats. As you mentioned, just look at the yards per reception. 2020, or actually 2019, 16.8. Drops two and a half yards the next season. Drops another 1.6 yards in 2021. Bottoms out at 10.9 this past season. Yes, I know, ACL. But still, that's pretty drastic drop-off. Four straight years of it declining, that's alarming. We need to make note of that and go, there's warning signs. There's no upside with Michael Gallup. There's just red flags with him. Yeah, and, and Brandon- I just want to pepper in real quick. Sorry, Aaron. That it's, this is an argument of cost. I don't dislike Gallup. I've been a Gallup chaser for years myself. I've drafted 65 best ball manias up to this point. I, I have him 15%. I've put him on 10 teams. I'm not against Michael Gallup, but all 10 of those picks were him outside of the top 150. Uh, in in ADP. Now that he's 128, I don't touch him. So with Michael Gallup, you you've just missed the 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 boat. It's just too late. You had your time if you drafted earlier. For the rest of the offseason, he's probably not going to be worth the cost. I'm sorry, Brandon. T- uh, Aaron, tell us more about Brandon Cooks. No, that's good, and that segues perfect into Brandon Cooks because I talked about Gallup and his yards per reception dropping because. That's been a big thing we've looked at with wide receivers is looking at their season stats and going, when was there a massive, obvious drop-off in their production that can help us predict who can bounce back and who is washed? And Brandon Cooks changed his name to Brandon Cooked, right? He's he's done. Like He averaged 14.2 yards per reception in 2020. It dropped all the way down to 11.5 in 2021. And this past season didn't rise much more. It was 12.3. He's been a volume receiver. That's how he's been productive in fantasy football. And that's an obvious thing. Any player that is productive has to have volume. The concern is, where does that volume come in this Cowboys offense? Going back to the top two guys with Tony Pollard and CeeDee Lamb, they combined for about 40% target share for the Cowboys last season. And I don't see that changing. If anything, I could see it maybe even going up a little bit more. Got to get Pollard more involved. So 40% of your target share is going to two guys. I mentioned with Michael Gallup that three seasons, three straight seasons, he's been 165 to 17% target share. That doesn't leave much for Brandon Cooks, a whole tight end room, and other guys catching passes. I don't think Brandon Cooks tops 20% target share because when you look at last year's Cowboys team, C.D. Lamb flirted with 30%. No one else on that Cowboys offense topped 19% target share. So let's just say maybe we give 1% to Brandon Cooks. 
What are we looking at with Brandon Cooks and a 20% target share? It's not going to be pretty. It's not. Like, Cooks, I don't think has the speed. I think we've seen that with yards per reception going down. He's not the same receiver. It's not a knock against him either. He's played, what is this, two, four, six, eight, nine seasons in the NFL. Like, they brought in T.Y. Hilton last year, right? Hilton didn't look like the same T.Y. Hilton that we thought of. Brandon Cooks is probably a slightly better version of that. But Brandon Cooks at that ADP, you're crazy, folks. You're crazy. You can't take him at that. Like, no, it's, it's logic. It's, it's totally crazy. And we talked about this a few months ago with aging receivers and running backs that you do, like you were saying, you see that mini cliff of efficiency before you see the big cliff. And this is now two years of Brandon Cook's mini cliff. He's a career 15 yards per reception. You get the mini cliff the last two years. The major cliff is coming. We now saw last year age-related injury. The Even the best-case scenario, like you said, 20% healthy for a whole season doesn't necessarily pay off the eighth-round ADP. And it, and, and it pains me. This is the first year in a half a decade. I have to hate Brandon Cooks. But I do. And I would take him, again, if he was... If he was three, four rounds cheaper, I would still take the swing on him. But the cliff is is knocking on the door. And at this point, he's like the Wiley Coyote. He's already ran off the cliff. We are just waiting for him to look down and actually fall, right? So, you know, maybe he still has to throw up the sign that says, help me. But we'll see. And, you know, C.D. Lamb would be the roadrunner. He's perfectly safe and healthy and happy having a good time. Um, that was an old Acme cart cartoon reference, and that's what you get on this show. But it's just, it's rough, man. The 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 areas we love the Cowboys compared to the areas we hate the Cowboys. The last one is Tony Pollard. We're not gonna break down Tony Pollard again because I've probably done it four times on this show. You can go back to the old episodes or just trust me. The talent profile is there. The number one, I actually have to go to. Kamara for this the number one argument you hear against Tony Pollard for anyone on Twitter or this and that who's like oh I can't really trust him they always say the same thing do you really think he can handle 250 carries or earns 250 carries and doesn't get hurt and every time I hear it I want to bash my head into a wall because the point of what makes Tony Pollard the potential RB1 or at the very least a top five running back has absolutely nothing to do with carries. At no point would I expect him to even see 200 carries. In fact, I don't want him to get 250 carries. And the whole, and then you look at a player like Alvin Kamara because that's the play style we're getting out of Tony Pollard. Alvin Kamara, the four years that he was a beast, top five every season, the one year he was top eight, never eclipsed 200 rush attempts. That wasn't the point of what made him good. Alvin Kamara has never had a thousand yard rushing season. It's the four seasons in a row of 80 receptions. And if you don't think Tony Pollard is capable of 80 receptions, then you haven't been watching the show and you haven't been watching the NFL. Tony Pollard is more than capable of 80 receptions. And in this current Cowboys offense, it's Lamb and it's Pollard. Aaron said they combined last year for 40% of, of the targets. Probably pushes the 45%. Not that Lamb's going to earn more. Pollard's going to earn more. Pollard is the guy. You want Malik Davis or Ronald Jones or even a re-signing of Zeke to come in and take 150 carries or 200 carries. You don't want Tony Pollard running it two yards up the middle. That's just going to get him hurt. It's not worth your time for the extra 20 accumulated yards on the ground. You want these types of Alvin Kamara stats. And these are the stat lines you should expect from Tony Pollard. So again, he still goes to like the 2-3 turn. 
It makes no sense. I would rank Tony Pollard as high as the RB2 this year, and I don't think it's that hot of a take when you look at the whole Cowboys depth chart the way we just did, and when you say, oh, yeah, this has always been a high-end fantasy-producing team. This is a regular season-winning team, and the depth is not there. It's it's very similar to the peak year of Ben, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell. Antonio Brown is the wide receiver one. Le'Veon Bell was the RB one. And Ben was good, but not great. Didn't necessarily win your, your league, but he was a startable quarterback. And that's what we have here. Aaron, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? Man, with Tony Pollard, I think we all know that Pollard is great. And what's scary is that there is room for so much more volume. And yeah, if it's receptions, that's more desirable. But just look at the opportunity metrics. Snap share, number 30 amongst running backs. Number 30, like barely, I guess, a quote-unquote starting running back snap share. Even in the receiving game, his route participation just under 40% was number 34. And he's really freaking good at being a receiver. Like some of the things I like to do is I just go compare targets and where they rank amongst position and the receiving yards. Number 16 amongst uh, amongst running backs and targets. Number 12 in receiving yards. They need to get them more involved. More involved in the passing game. Sure, let them lose some work on the ground. I'm totally fine with that because we know targets are worth more than a carry. So with Tony Pollard, there is volume. And just in terms of touches, he topped over 230 touches last season. He can handle that. Hopefully this year, more receptions than carries. But even if it is carries, like the only thing I'll say with the comparison between him and Kamara is so far in their career, at least Tony Pollard has hit a thousand yards rushing, has been more efficient on the ground. Like he's dangerous. Maybe he doesn't catch the 80 receptions that Kamara hit in his prime with the Saints, but he's much better on the ground. He'll get his yards either way. Tony Pollard being that high in fantasy this season shouldn't shock people. That's definitely within his realm of possibilities because there's a reason the Cowboys decided to just let go of Ezekiel Elliott without anyone else currently in this backfield that can that could take any serious work from Tony Pollard. But like let's assume Malik Davis can or Zeke comes back or they or they sign someone. Look at last year like Zeke was a full-time runner and and Tony Pollard was the RB8 in PPR on 39 receptions. No matter what they add, Tony Pollard's going to get about 180 rush attempts at least, at, at a minimum, right? And the receptions will probably double. And for those who are like, oh, how can you just project that? Well, your good old friend, Kellen Moore, who all the fantasy analysts love, wanted to throw the ball down the field because analytically it doesn't make sense to dump the ball off. It makes sense to throw it more distance. You know who's going to throw it to the running back more? Brian Schottenheimer, the guy who threw it to the Danian Tomlinson a million times with the Jets in 2009, like, and then everywhere he ever went with the old school mentality. It's the thing that they hate most about the Cowboys offseason is the thing that helps Pollard the most. Everyone's got it backwards. The Cowboys analysis is flipped upside down. And I think uh, I think we pretty much covered all the bases, Aaron. I feel like next, what I want to talk about after the Cowboys, another one that people aren't really fully grasping right now is the Raiders. And I think the biggest thing being missed about the evaluation of Raiders players right now is that the Raiders should 100% 
be approached right now as if Hunter Renfro is already gone. Hunter Renfro, we now see a blurb coming out about trade possibility, but we should have, I mean, I've been drafting like this for months, but everyone should have been. When a team signs a redundant player to a player in their prime they already have at a position that doesn't need multiple of said player, typically the original guy is good as gone. And to bring in Jacoby Myers when you have Hunter Renfro just doesn't really necessarily make sense. And I wouldn't be shocked if Hunter Renfro is gone and now you're hearing rumblings of it, even if he's not gone by week one. He's most certainly gone by the trade deadline. You know, traded to some team and then you have this pick. Hunter Renfro is free, by the way. He's drafted in the 17th or 18th round of underdog. So even if he does nothing for you through the first eight weeks, if he gets traded to a competing team, and now starts to work again in the slot. He can certainly help you in the championship weeks. He did, he did have a 200-point fantasy season just two years ago. But it also boosts the value of Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams. Right now, Jacoby Myers sits in this range of similar receivers. It's Alan Lazard. It's Tyler Boyd. It's Jacoby Myers. They sit around 110 to 118 overall, right in the 10th to 11th round. And Jacoby Myers is the cheapest one because people see, you know, Garoppolo is being underwhelming and the re- the re- redundancy with Renfro. But Jacoby Myers probably shoots up around. If Renfro was traded today, Myers at least goes up to where Boyd is and probably just before Boyd and just before Lazard. Because when you look at his track record and his age, he has a slightly better skill set than Lazard. He's a little more reliable and he's much younger than Boyd. Boyd is 29. I still like Boyd, but anyone at at pretty much any point, Boyd can just become too old and get relegated by the two studs in his receiving room. So when you take Renfro out, everyone looks better. Devontae Adams gets a little bit more reliable despite his age. Jacoby Myers and his 150-point fantasy floor become a little bit more appealing. And Michael Mayer, who is completely undrafted at this point, really should not be. We're always looking for a rookie that can buck the trend of receive of uh, tight ends taking a while to break out. But why not Michael Mayer? The Raiders booted all their tight ends. You know, you you get rid of Waller, you get rid of Foster Moreau. Yes, you sign Austin Hooper, but Austin Hooper is not a receiving threat at this point in his career. And Michael Mayer, prior to the draft, wasn't it wasn't unanimous, but I would say it was about 80-20. People had Mayer as the tight end one prospect over Kin Kincaid. And then you get the first round draft capital for Kincaid. Everyone loses their minds. They shove him up to the 11th round. And now we're overdrafting a tight end in Buffalo who does have legit target competition in Dawson Knox. Michael Mayer gets shoved to the last round despite, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo can support fantasy weapons. He's just not, you know, the most exciting quarterback. And then this guy who is a great receiving threat, you get rid of Renfro in the slot and he's pretty much free. And to be a good tight end, all you need is 100 fantasy points. This is exactly the type of guy I want to target who has a really good chance, a really good chance to see 70 targets as a rookie that he could easily turn into 100 fantasy points. And when you take Renfro out of, out of the equation, they all look better. Mayer, Myers, Adams, even Josh Jacobs, everyone at cost, you just disperse those not necessarily high value, but high floor, low A dot fantasy targets that can help turn, you know, a bad player into a reasonable floor play. 
And not enough people are talking about Hunter Renfro's eventual trade. Yeah, and we we know that the best practice in best ball is trying to predict the future. And believe it or not, as even though that sounds difficult, it's really simple in fantasy football and it, and in NFL. If you spend enough time, you already know, right? Like we've done we've done about a dozen of these shows, right? Oh, DeAndre Hopkins isn't with the Cardinals anymore. Are we shocked? No. Oh, Dalvin Cook is released by the Vikings. Were we shocked? No. Like, Hunter Renfro is going to be the next one. There's been plenty of smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And with Renfro and the Raiders, why would the Raiders do it? Simply comes down to just money for whatever reason. They just don't. They're, they have already mentally moved on from Hunter Renfro. And if they trade him, and it's not going to take much to get him, they would save $11.3 million because it's post-June 1st. So... Post June first, you could split the the dead money across two years. That's why it hasn't happened already. That's why it takes a little bit of time. But it was the same thing with Dalvin Cook. June first came by, and we're like, oh, the Vikings didn't tra- uh, didn't trade or release him. I guess he's going to stay. You wait a few days later, and he's gone. So same thing's going to happen with Renfro. You draft Renfro now because he's going to be playing somewhere else. We don't know where. And who knows? Maybe like Hopkins, there was no trade. He was just straight up released. Maybe the Raiders do that. I mean, they just go, you know what? We just don't want to pay. We just want to save money. Maybe they do release him. Even though it seems unlikely, it could happen. And just imagine if Renfro goes, signs with the Chiefs. Oh, man. Imagine what the ADP is going to be. Right now, wide receiver 80. And it's outside the top 180 picks. And it doesn't take much for guys going that late to see their ADP move a lot, we talked about Hopkins. There was his teammate Rondell Moore. Like when that news happened, he jumped up about 20 picks and it probably is still continuing to rise at the time of this recording. So draft Hunter Renfro, not because you believe he's going to be with the Raiders because he's going to be somewhere else and he's productive too. Like Hunter Renfro, it was just 2021, not that long ago. That he averaged over 15 fantasy points per game in PPR. I know it's half PPR in best ball, but he's never been below wide receiver 70 in points per game. This is the floor with Renfro. You draft him because when you get that late in best ball drafts, you're looking for points. You're looking for guys that can give you a start or two late in the season. That's Hunter Renfro. Jacoby Myers, you draft because anytime player loses a, a, a uh, loses someone in his position, it's going to affect him as well. Well, not Simple even that. Problem. Myers is also just the next great, always underpriced floor play, the next great wide right. receiver for us. Boyd for years, right? He's the guy. He's never flashy enough to get a high price tag, but you can, especially best ball, you can always just shove him in the back of your lineup, and you know he'll find weeks on the field. Renfro, because he's a last-round pick, there's value there. Another guy who's like that, if you just take one player out of the equation and it's very realistic, is Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer is finally at a point where he's draftable. Josh Palmer opened the fantasy football offseason in February after the Super Bowl. Underdog puts out its first big board tournament. Josh Palmer was an 11th round pick. That is 100% true. You can look it up. It might have been 12th. Either way, he was expensive. And for a fringe player, you can't touch that. Josh Palmer has fallen to an 18th round pick, borderline undrafted. This is finally the point where I'm like, hey, 
I don't just want Josh Palmer. I love drafting Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer earned 100 targets last season. He's not a zero. He scored 130 half PPR points on underdog. And what's nice about Palmer, what's nice about the Chargers offense in general, is this is like a new age version of Dan Quinn's Falcons. They threw the ball 711 times last year, and Justin Herbert was playing through broken ribs. They don't quite have the defense figured out. You now have Kellen Moore, the wonder kid, who wants to throw it down the field all the time. And there's a huge percent. There's a lot of room for everyone to feast when someone fails. Keenan Allen's like 32 years old and has now dealt with is now injury prone again. I know like the career started and we all called him injury prone and we started draft we stopped drafting him and then for like three years straight he never missed a game. But the last two years he deals with, with a lot of hamstring inj- injuries and now he's older. For Keenan Allen, it's at the point in his career where he either sees less volume or he gets hurt. Quentin Johnston is still a projection. If he doesn't pan out, then there's room for a Josh Palmer. And Mike Williams is a player that I very much love. I think he's a good fourth round pick. But he is still limited. He he doesn't quite do everything, but the things he does, he's very good at. Gerald Everett is nice and, and a value at tight end, but he is an undersized move tight end. Those are the first guys relegated, and he's now starting to get older. He's not a lock to continue being Gerald Everett, even though he's still a fair bet. Of course, Austin Eckler is going to get his 100 to 120 targets. But again, Austin Eckler is now 28. He's seen more career touches. If he misses some time, or they don't work out a contract and decide they do want to move on from him. You, you you never know. There is room now. And in the 18th round, I'll just take the upside dart on Josh Palmer, who can earn 90 targets still with no injuries. They threw it 700 times. He'll, he'll give you some value as an 18th round pick. He just has to find your lineup three or four times. I like Josh Palmer. Yeah. And with Josh Palmer, it's so funny because I hated him last year. In terms of, I didn't think he was a good player, but at the same time, acknowledging in fantasy football, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad at football. That's the key word, football. Fantasy football is all about volume. And man, he might have been the last man standing for a while. There was a stretch of weeks where it was really just him and Gerald Everett, but he was productive. There was even... It's insane to say this out loud. There was even a week that he was the wide receiver three in fantasy football uh, back in week 11 against the Chiefs. People have obviously moved on from him because, well, there's Quentin Johnston. I get it. First round talent. Oh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, if healthy, of course, are going to be the starters. Like, yeah, it's a wide receiver four. But how often has this ever happened in best ball? where in the 18th round, you can draft a guy that ran 582 routes last season. It was number five amongst all, all wide receivers that put up a top three week that has some other metrics that are good. Like he was 26 in receptions. Yeah, he's wide receiver 26 in receptions. They, yes, he's probably not going to replicate those season numbers, right? But in best ball, you get that late. You're drafting those guys that need probably three or four things to happen for them to to produce. And we already know, we've seen it with Josh Palmer. If three to four things happen in fantasy football, Josh Palmer can, in fact, produce. So instead of taking some fringe rookie receiver that we don't even know is good enough to get on the field, how about a wide receiver that 
had almost a thousand air yards. That is in a really good offense, especially if you draft Justin Herbert and you're looking for just that that last player. Maybe you've already got maybe you've got Herbert and Keenan Allen and even Gerald Everett. Why not get Josh Palmer, right? If anything happens to the other two guys with Justin Herbert, you know Palmer is going to be out there running 40-plus routes. Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator. We know he wants to throw deep. Josh Palmer in the 18th round is a steal. You could do a lot worse in the 18th round. You could be drafting Puka Nakua. But last one before a quick thought experiment, and then we'll wrap it up. Just going with the theme of looking ahead at ADP changes. This is not necessarily a player I like, but it's a player I've started drafting more because I'm seeing a scenario that I expect to change. And it's the dynamic of Rashi Rice and Sky Moore. Both, to me, are overpriced. But I know how these things go. And as we get into training camp in July and then preseason games, the fact that Sky Moore is more expensive than Rice by about 15 picks right now really makes no sense because both are small school guys. Sky Moore completely flopped last year. I don't care about the Super Bowl touchdown. Sky Moore is undersized where Rashi Rice is at least the right size. And the hype train for the rookie over the sophomore will flip these ADPs by August. By the time you're drafting like a redraft league or the last week of August and they're wrapping up these best ball comp- competitions, I wouldn't be surprised if Rice, if Rice is approaching the 10th round and he's certainly going to be more expensive than, than more. So like, I don't love Rashi Rice, but I do at least acknowledge that you want to take shots at pretty much every angle of the Chiefs offense because however it does shake out, whoever the victor is in the target share game of which receiver is the Chiefs receiver, if it is Rice, now is the time to get him at a reasonable cost. You have about a three-week window. Now is the time. Don't love him, but I am peppering him in now because I know for sure in August I'm not drafting him. I think the same argument that I made for Josh Palmer goes for Rashi Rice. I am with you. Like As a prospect, I hate Rashi Rice. I don't think he's talented at all, but, but, but there's volume. There is volume. That's what helped Josh Palmer last season. He was literally just healthy and a body that could be thrown the ball to in a pass-heavy offense. And with Rashi Rice, right? Like right now he's going a, a full round below Sky Moore. And it's not going to take much to be better than Sky Moore. It really isn't. There was a four-week stretch last season that during those three games they played in that four-week four stretch, he averaged negative fantasy points. It was absurd, right? Like, sure, maybe Sky Moore is a little bit better this season, but it's not a stretch to say that Rashi Rice could, could beat Sky Moore. So with Rashi Rice, and the other thing with him is, Kadarius Tony being wide receiver one, how certain are we on that too? Like Tony has never been able to a stay healthy enough to solidify his role as being the wide receiver one. So Josh Palmer last season needed Keenan Allen and Mike and Mike Williams to get injured to become the number one receiver and get all the targets that he wanted, like eight, nine, ten, up to like twelve targets in games. All it's going to take is. Tony pulling his hamstring again. Sky Moore just being Sky Moore. Don't really have to say anything else on that. And Rashi Rice could be the wide receiver. One. It's a much easier uh, well, hill to overcome than what Josh Palmer had to overcome last season. But also not even like not even going that far. Just a more realistic end game. 
realistically what happens, let's assume no one gets hurt. You know, they're going to throw it 600 times at least. Travis Kelsey is going to get his. And then it's just going to be spread among everyone else because we've essentially seen that. Outside of Tyree Kill, no one has ever really separated from each other. This week, it's Byron Pringle. This week, it's McCole Hardman, so on and so forth. And you have a lot of candidates. You have Kadarius Tony. You have Sky Moore. You have Rashi Rice. You have Marcus Valdez-Scanlon. You have Richie James, right? Behind Kelsey, not to mention the guys coming out of the backfield. CEH is still there. Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco. And the unfortunate reality is a lot of these guys will still offer you some type of floor of 80 to 100 fantasy points that can give you one or two weeks. So at Rice's cost, it's a little pricey. Don't love it, but it's not killing your team. And the Chiefs play the Bengals in week 17. And I am not a week 17, let's target that now type of guy. I think there's a lot of hubris in trying to say, I know what's going to happen in week 17 when we can't even project week to week. But Bengals, Chiefs, Week 17. I mean, we saw what Bengals-Bills was going to be if the game didn't get canceled in just half a quarter of play. There's a good chance players are going to come out of that game with tournament-winning numbers. And for the Chiefs, you kind of just got to spread the darts around on both teams. You really just want to be taking stabs at these teams. And again, if you want to stab at Rashi Rice that's not overpriced, you got to do it before August. The preseason hype train is going to bring this guy up. Because again, compared to Sky Moore, Rashi Rice at least has the requisite size and speed for an NFL caliber receiver. And that could help overcome the small school thing. Um, so last thing, one last team, one last thing I want to discuss. We touched on it last week, how the Atlanta Falcons are in serious contention to win their division and could be an impressive team this year in the same sense that the Giants were impressive last year. I'll I'll summarize it very quickly. What made the Giants good last year was they had the easiest schedule in the the league and things we should have flagged in the offseason that could have helped them be a little more efficient. The Falcons have the easiest schedule in the league this year. This is uh, from Sharp Football per uh, Vegas win totals. Like it's 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 an outlier how easy it is for the Falcons and the Saints. And then there's we broke down the, Ryan, the 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 Falcons roster. They made improvements on defense. They have a really good offensive line. They have three studs on the offensive line. You have three skill position players who were drafted top ten in in the NFL draft: London Pitts and Bijan. And Desmond Ritter is not a zero. Desmond Ritter is the definitive starter over Heineke, and he has very elite athleticism and could give us similar to what we saw from Daniel Jones last year. So. I'm not going to remake the argument of the Falcons being good. What I've been seeing float around the Twitter circles is this idea that the Falcons can't support all their weapons at their cost. And to a degree, I don't want multiple Falcons on the same team because the problem is going to be touchdown equity. There's only so many touchdowns to go around and whoever gets good touchdowns relative to their position is going to be the one who paid off the ADP. But you 100% see a floor for all these guys that warrants their ADP on underdog right now. So I'm not going to make a Falcon stack that's like Ritter, Pitts, and London. That's a little too rich. But if any of the Falcons players fall to you at their cost and you want to put one of them on your roster, you should feel confident doing so. Here's... So I I looked at the Falcons stats from last year, some of the Giants stats, and then league averages. So most teams pass the ball 400 to 600 times a year. 
And most teams rush 400 to 550 times a year total over 17 games for the last two years. The Falcons last season passed it 415 times and they ran it 556 times. So if we level that out a little bit to league average, but something still very realistic, we give the Falcons 450 total pass attempts. That would still be bottom 10 in the league. I'm not changing the philosophy of this team. And we give them 500 carries. We know Drake London is going to earn a 30% target share. That's 150 targets to Drake London. He's a fine fourth round pick. Kyle Pitts in his two years went from a 20% target share as a rookie to 27% last year. Now he never played with sophomore breakout London. So if even if you give a conservative number, let's say 22% to Pitts, that's 100 targets. 100 targets for a tight end, that's fantastic. That's worth Kyle Pitts' current price tag at the 6-7 turn. Let's say, now let's, before we circle back to, to the targets, if we look at carries, if we give Bijan 250 carries of the 500, that's a 50% opportunity share. That's his floor. And then we give him 12% of the targets, which is reasonable. Barkley had 18% targets last year. So floor, 54 targets, 250 carries, and let's assume eight touchdowns. If he's healthy for a whole season, he's not doing any less than that. In half PPR, that's 220 fantasy points. Now, you don't love 220 fan. It's 220 fantasy points if we assume he runs for 4.5 yards per carry, which is, again, floor. He could run for, for more. That would be about 1,100 yards rushing, 300 yards receiving, and the eight touchdowns. This is not an unreasonable projection for a guy of his caliber on this offense. Now, let's say he does better than that, gets 300 carries, scores 12 touchdowns. That's 270 fantasy points. That's a league winner. It's a little risky for a first-round running back. I certainly don't love it, but it's not unwarranted. There, There is a world here where he can do that. Now, with what's left, if we give 120 carries to Algier and 5% of the targets, that's 22 targets, and then so 30% targets to London, 22% to Pitts, 12% to Bijan, 5% to Algier, leaves 125 targets for all other players. That's a reasonable projection to say that of 450, we give 325 to the main four. We leave 125 to others because we know that with every NFL team, the no-name guys are going to accrue X amount of targets. That is the floor. Absolute floor. For the rushes, you give 250 to Bijan, 120 to Algier, 90 to Ritter, and that leaves 40 carries for other. And again, that's the floor. That's very realistic. You know, it assumes Cordero Patterson either is old and mostly special teams or is off the team, or he just feasts on the 40 remaining carries and 125 remaining targets. At at their floor value, Algier, London, Pitts, and Bijan are not overpriced. Now, the pricing isn't necessarily comfortable. You're not getting a value on any of these players, but they're all fine. The real key is who's going to get the touchdowns. If London only sees four touchdowns, not really a great fourth round pick, but if London catches eight touchdowns, that's a smash in the fourth round, right? If Pitts sees eight touchdowns, right? So chances are this team doesn't really score like, you know, they're not going to probably crush the lead in touchdowns because they're going to be really clock efficient and play defense. You know, Ritter will maybe throw 15 to 20 touchdowns and they'll probably rush in 20 touchdowns as a team. We're looking at 40 to 45 touchdowns to go around. That's not a lot. So you, I, I'm not recommending a full Falcon stack here, but to throw Falcons into your team, there is plenty of volume to go around for how consolidated this offense should be. And the real answer, which we've been saying for weeks, is just take darts on Desmond Ritter in the 18th round, man. 
he's going to pay off to some degree. He's not going to be top 15 in fantasy football, but he's not he's not the QB 30. It's absurd. He has a def- he's there's no quarterback competition between Ritter and Heineke. It's Ritter until he gets hurt, should he get hurt, and he doesn't even have to be the best quarterback in in the world. He's going to mostly hand the ball off, and then when he does have to throw it, London and Pitts are both size mismatches who are also athletic freaks who will either be wide open or even if if they're covered, they're going to tower over whatever defenders on them. There is buying opportunity here. I would not fear the Falcons. Agreed, my friend. You know, and that last point was my major point too of the easy answer in all this is just take Desmond Ritter, QB 30, like ADP outside the top 200 because the three major weapons, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson, I'm 100% with you that the ADP is totally fair, especially like Kyle Pitts that's going about two rounds later this year than he was last year. And the situation is identical, if not better. It's fantastic, but the, and then really it's just going London is wide receiver 23 in ADP. Kyle Pitts is tight end five. Bijan is RB three. If they all hit, it's unlikely, but if they all hit, then Desmond Ritter smashes his ADP of QB 30. And for him to even excel and surpass his ADP, he doesn't even need all three of those guys to to return value there if like two of the three guys do well desmond ritter is going to be fine and all of these projections are fair and i'm looking at the 2022 atlanta falcon stats and going this is exactly what they do last year in terms of allocating targets and touches in the backfield like if this was a good practice this is definitely something that if if you're listening to this and you want to get good at fantasy football you need a you need to tune out all the noise and just do this type of practice of just looking at it logically. And these were conservative projections, as you mentioned, like the targets left plenty for Cordero Patterson to maybe more involved. Even Mac Hollins, a free agent signing uh, for their team. Maybe he develops into something likely not, but maybe Johnu Smith maybe gets utilized in unique ways. Like these projections it captures the main thing, but also leaves it ambiguous for other things to happen because we don't know. We don't know how this Falcons offense shapes up. But the major point of this practice is just going, look, these guys and their ADPs, they're not bad. You know, anyone that's telling you that they're bad probably is just probably is just repeating what they've heard and they haven't dove deep into this too. I think the only one that maybe, maybe is a little a little rough is Bijan, but honestly, he's going back down in ADP. So, yeah, those and, guys and are all could, good. He could very much be the RB1. It's This is what best ball was made for. Anything, any knowledge we do have to be sharper at fantasy football has given us the correct pricing on Falcons players with Ritter being underpriced. The, what, so fantasy process here is sound. Fantasy success here is unpredictable because it's Again, it's going to come down to who catches the touchdowns. This is what best ball was made for. If you draft 150 teams in, in a contest, you, you just spread it across all of them. You take some Bijans, you take some Londons, you take some Pitts, you take some Algiers. You don't put multiple of them on the same team because, again, whichever one wins the touchdown variance game is, is the one that was worth the pick. 
But their floor, the, the logical floor case, when you look at their average outcome, their prices are not incorrect. Now, in like a seasonal redraft league or a one-and-done type league, then you just try to take one of these guys if you get them at a value. If you're in your home league and knowing London is a fourth-round pick on underdog but your friends at home don't like him and he's there in the sixth round and you haven't taken any any Falcons players, then then yeah, just take him and hope he's the, the, the touchdown guy knowing that you've now gotten him at a value for his floor anyway, right? If London gets the 150 targets but only scores three touchdowns, he's still a good sixth-round pick, just a bad fourth-round pick. So it's... You know, it's it's going from format to format. But on underdog specifically for best ball, the pricing is not poor. It's just a situation of you got to spread it across Atlanta through through multiple contests and just don't overstack Atlanta. But there is value here. And there's value in Dallas. And there is value in the 18th round with Josh Palmer. And value for now with Rashi Rice. And I think this was a very valuable episode. Aaron, do you have any, any final value for us? Can I list one? quick player just one dude throw it out there chuba hubbard of the carolina panthers i'll be quick on this one his adp right now rb 56 he's going outside the top 180 players some stats from last season number six in yards per touch number 17 in true yards per carry number 26 in yards created per touch and last season he barely had 100 opportunities, that being carries and targets. And the year before that, he exceeded 200 opportunities. The big thing with them last season was a slow start because there's this guy named Christian McCaffrey that played the first six weeks with the Carolina Panthers and an injury with Chuba Hubbard. But when Hubbard came back, man, he was ready. Like those efficiency metrics are great. It improved from last season, and he's always been a bit of an explosive runner. And I, I like this as a sneaky stat of it was small sample size, but it was across nine games. His target rate was 21%. He's not a big pass catcher, but he's not a complete dud either. Definitely was catching dump off passes and doing the most with it. It was, I want to say his receptions were cut in half from the year prior, but his receiving yards stayed the same. It was remarkable. And this Carolina offense, we love Miles Sanders. But if you miss on Miles Sanders in best ball and he's going as a like six-round pick, Chuba Hubbard is a great late-round guy to take because there just isn't a whole lot of overall talent in Carolina in that offense. And Hubbard's not a zero. Like, he's finished... Inside, he was RB53 last season in points per game and his rookie season RB40. As I mentioned, his ADP is RB56, right? And Sanders should be the starter and he will be. But CMC was keeping Chuba Hubbard glued to the bench. Hubbard is going to have a role on the Carolina Panthers this season. Yeah, he's a he's a nice handcuff option who's a, cheaper than a lot of the other backups and... He could have some standalone value, should see at least 120 carries, will find the end zone a few times. And if Sanders goes down, sky's the limit. I do like Truba Hubbard. And, um, yeah, I think we, uh, we, we pretty much hit it all. So we'll call it for today. And uh, just catch us, you know, next Wednesday on Discord at 8 or live on YouTube or live on Apple Podcast.